Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we pray that as we come to the very end of the book of Colossians, we will see it as still truly your word, and that we may be able to really put ourselves in the shoes of the Colossian Christians, to understand what Paul means by it, and to see how it applies to us today as we live 2,000 years later in Singapore. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to tell you that when I first started working, uh, it was quite an unpleasant experience because uh, I think I had the wrong expectation of work. So I remember my first week of work, you know, I was an auditor. You know, when you're an auditor, it's quite boring, right? So, you know, you have to check all these things. So I thought, yeah, what's the harm, right? You know, when I'm studying, usually I, I listen to music when I'm doing things. So here I was doing this auditing and there was no one else around. I thought, okay, like, it doesn't matter. I'll put on my headphones and I can do my auditing, right? So I put on my headphones and then the, my senior came in after a while. I said, what are you doing? I said, I'm auditing, right? You asked me to check all these things. He said, no, you're listening to headphones. I said, yeah. I said, I don't know when I'm studying, I always listen to headphones, right? He said, no, you can't do that. Okay, so my next performance review, bad mark. <laughs> then, uh, few, uh, uh, no, many uh, weeks later or whatever, no, another occasion, we have to change this line of coding so that whenever the uh, financial reports are produced every month, right, you automatically add in this, this line for accounts. La. So, you know, I thought, okay, la. Uh, my boss asked me to do it. But somehow, because of some misunderstanding, the, the person who was supposed to code this line and I was the one who was supposed to check it up, somehow we, we missed it and it uh, just didn't happen. So my boss said, hey, Andrew, come in here. What happened? This line didn't come out. I asked you to put it in. I said, ah, don't worry. We can do it next month. Oh, and then you could see all the steam coming out of his ears, right? And his face was getting red. Another bad mark for my performance, right? See, what was happening here was my expectations of work were different from the reality, isn't it? And I think it's very important to have the right expectations of what you're supposed to be doing. I think that as we come to today's passage, there is a sense where, when I, when I was really reflecting on this passage from verse 7 to 18, I was asking myself, why did Paul put this here, isn't it? Why did, why did Paul bother to write verse 7 to verse 18? Because really, effectively, he could have ended the, the passage, he could have ended uh, the book of Colossians in verse 18 and said, you know, just I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. And I think the reason why he did it was because he wanted to bring them back to the reality of Christian life. Because, you know, Christian life is not all about, you know, great things, uh, you know, it's a power, glory, honor, but it's about the nitty-gritty of Christian life. So, originally, it says here in verse uh, t- 7 to 10, uh, you know, it says that Tychicus will tell you all about the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant of the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onsimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Right? And I think that it's very important for Paul, I think, to tell them about what is happening because the original situation was that Paul had just written to them about all the great things that they have in Jesus. Remember? So in chapter 1, if you look at the next slide, chapter 1, oh, sorry, next one, the next slide. Chapter 1 was all about how God had done all these great things for them in Jesus. So you remember chapter 1, right in the beginning of the letter, that Jesus was the creator of the world. Jesus was the sustainer of this world. Uh, Jesus was God. Uh, and, and in their Christian faith, they had complete union with Jesus. Right, so the next slide. All right. So, 
it has said uh, to them that for in Christ all the fullness of deity, that means all of God, lives in bodily form and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. That means he's almost saying like, we have Jesus. They have Jesus, we have Jesus too. And we have all the blessings, all the fullness of God. And he went on to say in chapter 3, Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on, the, on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So, the mistaken uh, expectation that we might have when the Colossian Christians might have when they read this sort of stuff is that, wow, you know, we have everything in Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator of the world. Life will be perfect now, isn't it? But then Paul wants to bring them back to the reality of the situation. And what is the reality of the situation? Well, he said that Tychicus will come and tell you about our situation. Tychicus will come and tell you everything about our situation. And what is the situation of Paul? Okay, I think you have to go backwards, right? So can you go back to slide 2? The next slide. Okay, the reality of the situation is that they are in jail. Uh, It says there that Aristarchus is their fellow prisoner. And Paul himself is in chains. Now that is the reality of the situation. And I think that it is so important for us to see that we live in Jesus. We are united in Jesus in heaven. But the reality of Christian life in this world today is that people can still suffer. Even the Apostle Paul can still suffer. And I think that how timely it is as we look at the very end of the book of Colossians because it's a reminder to us that even good, godly, faithful Christians will suffer hardship, uh, persecution, or even just the, never, the normal, everyday suffering of daily living. Now, I think that this is a really good reminder to us because nowadays, people tend to feel that as Christians, that we should not suffer. No? So I remember driving my car the other day, and in front of me was this car with this big sticker. And it said, Abundant Living. I have Abundant Living. And uh, this person was a Christian. And this person, uh, I think, when you think of Abundant Living, it's not so much Abundant Living as fullness in Jesus Christ, but many churches believe that you should have Abundant Living in every way, materially, physically, relationally. And someone told me that in the church they visited recently, the pastor actually got up to the pulpit and he said that no Christian deserves to be sick. Right? No Christian deserves to be poor. No Christian deserves to be a failure in life. That every Christian should be successful. But I think that the picture that we have here in the Bible, and just the last, it's almost like the last few verses, right? The last few verses is a picture of the Christian reality. And the Christian reality is the early church suffered and they suffered greatly. People were in jail, people were persecuted, people suffered as Christians. And I think that if we have the wrong expectations, just like me and the wrong expectations at work, right, you will lead to disillusionment and disappointment, uh, disenchantment, and even a falling away as a Christian. I remember meeting this Christian woman who went to a church and she said to me, you know, the church promised her so many things and she gave a lot of money and she never received this abundant living that she 
was looking for. And she always felt that maybe it's because she's not faithful enough. She wasn't giving enough. Or she wasn't doing something. There's something missing in what she was doing. In the end, she became so fed up that she left the church completely. But I think that as we look at just verse 7 to verse 9, we see that suffering and being a faithful Christian are not things which are opposite, you know. You can still be a faithful Christian and you can still suffer in this life. The Apostle Paul was a faithful Christian, trust me, he was, but he was still suffering. So what's the secret then when we live in a real world where Christians really suffer? When you suffer, what, what is it that will get you through as a Christian? Well, the secret is in the, what Paul does, isn't it? Next slide. Uh, yep, okay. He sends Tychicus to them to tell them the news about how he's in prison, about how other Christians are in prison. But it says there that Tychicus will also come to encourage their hearts. Now, how will Tychicus encourage their hearts? Will he say, um, you know, well, actually, jail is not so bad after all, no? Right? Actually, things will only get better from here. Right? I mean, how bad can it really get, isn't it, right? What is Tychicus going to say to the Colossian Christians when they know that their leader is in jail? Well, what can encourage them? Imagine you come to church one Sunday and you find that, you know, I'm in Changi Prison and Elder George is in, uh, I don't know, some other prison, Queenstown, Remand Centre, whatever, right? What can, we, what can we say to the congregation which will encourage your heart? Well, this word encourage here has been used before. And the idea of encouraging people's hearts in the Bible, in the book of Colossians, is not about telling people only good news, right? It's not class 90FM, right? oh no, sorry, goal 90FM, right? It's only not good news. It is actually telling people about Jesus. It is reminding people about who they are in Jesus. So in chapter 2, verse 2, right, this is what Paul said. My purpose is that they, right, all the Christians, Colossian Christians, may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see? You see what it's saying there? What Tychicus is doing is what Paul was doing. He was encouraging people in their heart. And the Christian encouragement in the heart is not about telling people good news, it's about telling people about Jesus. Right? It's about giving them the full riches of complete understanding to know that you are saved in Jesus, that you are united in Jesus, that you have salvation guaranteed for you, that when Jesus comes again, you will rise with Him in glory. That is how people are encouraged, that they will know deeper and better what they have in Jesus. And that's why at the same time, while Tychicus is encouraging the Colossian Christians, uh, Epaphras is praying for them. Right, so, at the same time as Tychicus is returning back to Colossae to encourage them, Epaphras is praying for them. And what is Epaphras praying for? Well, look what it says in verse 12. Right? It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. 
He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Now, when you look at the word here, the purpose of the prayer is what? The purpose of the prayer is not less suffering. The purpose of the prayer is not that they will have a, a good time, a good life, abundant living. No. What is the purpose of the prayer? The purpose of the prayer is that they may be mature and fully assured. Now Paul again says that what Epaphras is praying for is the same thing that he is doing in his ministry. In chapter 1 verse 28, we proclaim him, Jesus, right? Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. The word perfect here is the same word as mature. Right? So exactly the same word. To this end I labor struggling with all this energy which so powerfully works in me. Now this word perfect here is not the idea of where we reach perfection in Jesus. Okay? Uh, it doesn't mean that we will be perfect in Jesus one day. In this life. But what it's saying is that as we grow in our faith, in our knowledge, in our behavior, we are reaching increasing maturity in Jesus Christ. And this comes, it says here, as Jesus is proclaimed, isn't it, verse 28, we proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching. That means, we teach people about Jesus. We tell people where they are going wrong. We correct them as they are living the wrong way or they are thinking the wrong thing. And as they keep growing their faith and their living, right, and their knowing and their living, their behavior and their knowledge, they will reach Christian maturity. And I think for us, that is the secret to surviving the hard times as a Christian. When we face hard times as a Christian, all of us will face hard times as a Christian, we must keep encouraging one another, not that things are going to get better, but encouraging one another in Jesus Christ. By teaching one another Jesus Christ, by admonishing one another Jesus Christ. We must keep praying for one another that we keep growing in maturity. Now, life, uh, uh, like J.R. Packer said, is uh, like a minefield. Right? And uh, you're just walking along one day and uh, you step on a mine, boom! Right? You get sick. You, you're walking along very peacefully one day, boom, something happens. You have a conflict at work. You're walking along very peacefully and something else blows up. A close friend dies. You're walking along very happily. Another mind blows up. A close Christian friend falls away or does something wrong to you. Now all these things when they happen, when Christian life gets hard, how do we sustain our faith? By coming back to Jesus Christ. By being encouraged in Jesus Christ. By continuing in Christian maturity. Because the Bible warns us very clearly that there will be hard times as a Christian. And we should expect hard times as a Christian. See, remember Jesus, uh, the next slide, when he told us the parable of the sower, you remember the parable of the sower? Where Jesus says, he sows the word, or God sows the word, and it lands on all the different soils. Remember that? Remember the second soil, the rocky soil. So the one who received the seed or the word that fell on the rocky place or the rocky places is the man or the woman who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. 
But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. And so, as we live as Christians, we will face trouble and difficulty because of the word, which is exactly what Paul is experiencing here, isn't it? But I think, in any part of our life as Christians, whenever trouble comes, it tests our faith. As I've been a Christian for many years now, I see that many people fall away when they have hard times, you know? When they break up with their boyfriend or girlfriend, uh, when they have hard time at work, when you have health issues, when maybe you're tired or burnt out, or maybe you have disappointment with other Christians, people fall away. But the way not to fall away, the way not to be the rocky soil, right, is to keep coming back and being encouraged by God's Word. Be encouraged by the reality of Jesus Christ and what you have in Jesus. Coming back to see that you are united with Jesus in heaven. You are in heaven now. And that when He comes back, there will be no more tears and no more suffering. So I think that's the first thing that we learn from this passage. Is that Tychicus brings encouragement. Epaphras prays for them. Because they are in the midst of difficulty, persecution. But I think... Paul lays out all these people also for the reason of showing them that the the Christian community, the Christian life, is all about friendships and family and community. You notice here, right, on the slide, I've made it easy for you. If you have your Bibles, you can look it up. Why does Paul name so many people? Why does he bother to name Tychicus, Onsimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Jesus, called Justice, Epaphras, all these people, why does he bother? I think that we don't realize that all these people are very different people, isn't it? So Tychicus, if you look at the next slide, the next slide, so Tychicus, the one who goes back to encourage them, who is he? He's not from their hometown, okay? He's not an Epaphran, oh, sorry, he's not a Colossian, Christ, he's not a Colossian person, no. He comes from uh, the area of Asia, the province of Asia. So maybe it's a bit like, uh, you know, he's a Malaysian, okay, we're Singaporeans. Okay? He just comes from the region, okay? And then Onsimus, who's one of them, is, is a slave. He's a slave, he's a Gentile slave, alright? In uh, Philemon chapter 16, it says, Perhaps the reason he, Onsimus, was separated from you for a while uh, was that he might you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, a dear brother. So Tychicus was not a local, Onsimus was a slave, Aristarchus, Mark and Justice, they were Jews, but the Colossians were, uh, Colossians were Gentiles. Epaphras was a local person, but he wasn't going back, he was praying for them. And here we really see a, a wonderful picture of team ministry, isn't it? We have slave, we have uh, Gentile, we have Jews, we have uh, locals, and we have foreigners, all working together with Paul. And originally, in chapter 3, verse 11, remember Paul said, what is the church like? The church is not all made up of, of, of the same sort of people. They're all different, isn't it? Here in the church, there is no Greek. There is no Jew. Circumcised or uncircumcised, that means Gentiles or non-Gentiles. Right? Oh, sorry, Jews or non-Jews. A barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. 
And I think that all of these people, the slave, the foreigner, the local, the Jew, the Gentile, what are they all doing? They're all working hard. Is the next slide? They're all working hard for the Gospels. and They're all working hard to see people encouraged in Jesus and growing in maturity. They all have a common aim. That's why they're called fellow servants, fellow prisoners. And, it's, and, and this word here is very important, right? Working hard. He is all working hard. Can you see up here the green one? Right, it says that Epaphras is working hard, literally working until the point of pain or distress or great uh, suffering. Now, why does Paul tell them that all these people are working hard for them? Because I think it's a great source of encouragement, isn't it? Here, the church is facing persecution, perhaps. The church is facing false teachers and false teaching. But Paul wants them to know that they are not in it by themselves. They are not alone. Uh, You know, Tychicus is coming. Yep, okay, we're going to make sure we we hold on strong till Tychicus comes. Epaphras is praying. Yeah, we don't want to disappoint his praying. Onsimus, he might be coming back to us. He's a dear brother, right? These Jews, they are caring for us. They're also working hard in the gospel. Well, you know that there are other people striving and straining in Jesus Christ. It helps you to go on, isn't it? And I think it shows a very important lesson for us that as Christians, we do not go on in the Christian walk by ourselves. The Christian person who goes on by himself or herself is a loner. And as a loner, they will not get very far, isn't it? Because we need fellow Christians to encourage us we need fellow Christians to pray for us. We need fellow Christians whom we know care and love for us and minister to us. Now, I, uh, I really like this, what the Dudley Ford, this pastor, said. He said, even in the Bible, you can see that people who are powerfully, powerful prophets or whatever, you know, have great Holy Spirit in them, when they are by themselves, they get depressed and they do not go on in the Christian life. So, in 1 Kings chapter 19, there was this great prophet Elijah. Okay, you know great prophet Elijah? He was very powerful. And in chapter 18 and 17, he was so powerful that he called fire down from heaven to set alight the altar. Now that's pretty amazing, right? Can you imagine? I call down fire from heaven and then the fire comes down and burns uh, a wet, uh, soaking altar. Okay, I mean that's... That's really a quite awesome, awesome display of God's power, isn't it? But in chapter 19, he is afraid. He's running for his life. And look, listen, listen to the story, okay? And you can, you can hear and feel how scared he is and how depressed he is as a, as a follower of God. Elijah ran for, was afraid and ran for his life. Uh, when he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went on the day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Okay, he's so depressed as a Christian because he knows that everybody is against... Actually, he's not a Christian then, sorry. He's so depressed as God's follower because he knows everybody hates him that he wants to die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down on the tree and fell asleep. Then a voice said to him... Okay, I've, I've cut off... The other verses you can read in your Bibles, right? Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, 
broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshri, king of over Israel. Anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hezreel and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouth have not kissed him. Now what is um, God saying here? See, God is saying that you are not the only one left, Elijah. There are 7,000 other followers who have not bowed the knee before Baal. And that was a great source of encouragement for Elijah. You see, to go by yourself and to think that I'm the only one left, you know, I'm all by myself, no? All by myself. I'm sure there's a song. Anyway, right, all by myself. Right? It says to us that, you know, we, 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 we cannot go on this way because we need Christian community. And actually, when you look at this account, if you ever go to 1 Kings chapter 19, it really uh, would be a great profit to you to study it. Two times, Elijah tells God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. I cannot take it anymore. I, no, let me die. Like, I'll, I'll prefer to die. But that's the way we feel, isn't it? You know, as Christians, there are times, even for me, right? you know, our Christian life is never straight like this. It's always up and down, up and down. Right? There are times where you are down and you feel, God... I can't take it anymore. I'm all by myself. You know, I feel like no one understands what I'm going through. I feel like you know, there's no one there for me. But here in this passage, I think Paul is telling that there are all these other people, isn't it? There are all these other people who are praying for you. There are all these other people working for you. And therefore, keep being encouraged in Christ and keep growing in Christ. So I remember a reading of this pastor who um, uh, received a surprise visit from a long-time colleague in Christ. And he said that seeing this man smile was worth two weeks' holiday. Right? I mean, in a sense, it's true. When you see your friend and he comes to encourage you, to pray with you, it can feel like a two-week holiday, isn't it? And that's exactly what he was saying. And then I was remember reading somewhere else, uh, just recently on the internet, about this marriage counsellor. I'm trying to get the DVD so we can show it at church. Uh, they don't sell it in Singapore. But he was saying, he has a blog, right? Everybody has a blog nowadays. And um, he was saying that in America, and I think it's true all over the world, right? He said, why are there so many divorces in America? Christian couples going to church getting divorced, he said. He said, because when couples have problems in church, instead of opening up and telling their friends, telling the pastor, telling the Bible study members, they, 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 prefer, they prefer to have a, a very uh, superficial front, right? Where everybody's very happy. Yeah, yeah, marriage is great. Every, everybody's happy, right? But then actually, deep down inside, no, nothing is actually okay, isn't it? And he says that actually that's the wrong understanding of church. He said, when we have problems with our life, we should share it with people we trust and help them to get them to encourage us, get them to pray for us, get them to support us. And in this way, he said, he guarantees there will be less divorces in America. And it's the same for us as Christians. 
time and time again, whenever we, I see Christians who have problems, you know, maybe they have health problems, they have problems at work, they have problems with other Christians, instead of putting themselves more into fellowship and friendship and deeper relationship with people, they withdraw from people. And actually by withdrawing from people, it makes their spiritual condition even worse than before. And that's why even the great Apostle Paul, right, you think, wow, this Apostle Paul, right, shipwrecked for days, get whipped, hunt them everywhere, wow, he's still a Christian, but he needs people, right? And here, as you look at this passage, you look at the next slide, even Paul, the great Apostle Paul, right, he needs people. He says, oh, you know, uh, Tychicus, he's my dear brother. Onesimus, he's my dear brother. Now, this is not just like, uh, you know, uh, the way we use, hey, bro, how are you? Huh? Right? It's like, it's not some meaningless thing, right? But it is a real term of love and endearment, a dear brother. This is the words that in the ancient world they use for family members, someone who's very close to me, someone who I care about. See here, the Apostle Paul is not a lone ranger. He's someone who needs other people. And even in uh, verse, um, verse 11, he says to these other people, Aristarchus, Justice, Mark, they are a great comfort to me. They comfort me in my time of need, when I'm in prison, when I need encouragement. So when you think about it, what are we as Christians, what are we as a church, are we like a big family? Ask yourself this question. Do you treat other people around you as really people that you dearly love? Are you dearly loved by other people? Do you comfort other people? Or do you allow yourself to be comforted by other people? Do you teach, admonish and encourage and pray for other people that they will grow in Christ and in maturity and perfection in Christ? And when you struggle as a Christian, do you allow yourselves to be open to other people so that they will, will encourage you and will pray for you. Are you one of those lone rangers out there, right? Who, you know, basically are following culture rather than Christ and will just, you know, take all your problems within yourself and not let other people encourage you in Christ and pray for you. I remember um, reading this book. Actually, I'm still reading it. I'll, I'll use it for another year for illustrations. And this guy was really uh, wonderful. He's an old pastor. Uh, I don't know where, in the 1800s, and there was someone who was dying. An elder's wife was uh, laid low for lingering and incurable this illness. And uh, this pastor, Dr. Alexander White, uh, went to her, and of course he can do nothing for her, right? He can't give her any medicine. So what he did was he read to her from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 says, verse 31, On the eagle's wings they will mount and they will soar. And then at the door, he turned, and as an afterthought, uh, dropping into the homely Scots, as he was wont to do in moments of intimacy, he said, put that under your tongue, and suck it like a sweet. Right, so, here was a woman who was dying, incurable. And the, the man didn't go there and just say, oh, you know, you'll feel better, how you are. He, he read to her scripture and said, look, this is the medicine, right? Yes, you will die. But no that you will rise and soar like an eagle. See, how do, we, how do we stay strong? How do we stay strong when you struggle as a Christian? Come back to who you are in Christ. Grow in the knowledge of Christ. Grow in faith. So in conclusion, uh, when I uh, was a young Christian, 
and I was at work for a little while, I started having some stomach pains. I think I showed you once before in another sermon. And I remember I took a, a week of MC uh, in one month. And I was in so much pain, I could just sit there and I couldn't do anything else. Right? It was so painful. I, eventually they diagnosed that some stomach ulcer. Okay? And this uh, friend of mine would come over to my house uh, a few times and he would sit there and he would pray with me. And he would remind me of who I was in Christ. And he would you know, talk to me about God and the Bible. And in many ways, he was like my Tychicus, right? Because he came, he encouraged me in Christ, he prayed with me. And I think that that should be how all of us should be, isn't it? We should be like Tychicus to one another. I mean, here, if it wasn't for this man, I don't know whether I would be Christian today. But we should be like Tychicus to one another. We should come and comfort one another in our times of need. We should pray for one another. We should remind each other what we have in Jesus. We should be a real community. And because we have each other, we will all be able to persevere and to mature in Jesus Christ. So let us all really be like that. Let us all truly encourage one another in Christ. Let us all pray for one another's maturity. Let us love and comfort one another as a family. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, truly help us to see that in the Christian life there will be down times as well as good times. But help us to not be taken by surprise when these hard times come. That it is, it is normal for a Christian, even faithful, godly, uh, serious Christians, to face real pain and real suffering in this life. And we pray, dear Father, that during these times we will strengthen ourselves by coming back to your word, by coming back to Jesus, by being encouraged in Jesus, to have full, the full knowledge of what you've done for us and who we are. And we pray for ourselves that we will, we will help one another, we will encourage one another, we will comfort one another, we will be a true community where we will want to, want to each other be dearly loved and seek to comfort one another during these difficult times to remind each other what we have, to keep praying for one another. And dear Father, when we ourselves struggle this way, we pray that we will not, we will not remove ourselves or distance ourselves from one another, but all the more that we will reach out to others and share our problems and have them encourage us and comfort us and pray for us. And in this way, we pray that truly when Jesus Christ comes again, when He comes, we will rise with Him in glory. And we look forward to that day. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.